just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Saturday. We're into the weekend. Hopefully things are settling down, at least for the time being. Uh, That one yesterday was a long one, wasn't it? Two hours, 15, 17 minutes, something like that. Again, I'll tell you what I did in that particular situation. I decided I wanted to do a live on TikTok. I don't do too many of them. Because all too often the trolls jump in and they make it a shit show and uh, it's just hard to do. But I thought, you know, we had all this news coming out on that day. I thought, well, I'll do a live. And then I thought, well, you know, I could probably save some time and record the live and turn it into a podcast. Never in my wildest dreams did I imagine I'd do it for two hours. And actually, you can tell what happens when I talk for two hours straight. The intro to that podcast I recorded after I did the two hours, and you can hear it's a little raspy, you know? It's just not all there. I'm too old to be talking two hours straight. There was a time when I did it quite often, and I was uh, I had the chops for it. I don't think I do now. But let's be honest. There is no real good reason for me to talk for two hours. (laughs) There's no good reason for it. Well, we've got a lot to talk about as we're entering the weekend. Uh, I've got a bunch of emails to check with, so let's start with those. This first one comes from Paul. He says, had a chuckle on your response to Aaron's issue with your drinking water. I thought you were trying for a Rat Pack Dean Martin feel with the rye on the rocks. I particularly liked your saying, I do as I please and taking a sip sans ice cubes. Class. By the way, I have my spouse whose first question in the morning is, is he Trump dead yet? Listening to your stuff. Thanks again for your work, Paul. Well, thank you for those kind words, Paul. And I will say, Aaron sent me a note after my last comments, and he says, "Look, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. It's it's my problem, not your problem. I'm not saying you have to stop doing it." <clears throat> and I had to explain to him, if you know me well enough, and you know you don't know me personally, so you don't know this, but in my family, amongst my friends. If we aren't giving you shit, we don't like you. Everybody's busting balls all the time. So, Aaron, that's all I'm doing is busting your balls. I get it. I'll try to accommodate you when I can. But, you know, I'm just sitting here. I'm talking. Um, I've had a cold recently, so i got to clear my throat. And I will be drinking water. I apologize if it uh, causes you issues. But I can only do what I can do. And Aaron, I'm not mad at you. I don't get mad at shit like that. I'm not. If I call you out, it's because I like you. I, uh, as they say in the uh, little Italy in New York, we're just busting some balls. All right. The next one comes from Roy. He says, hi, Mike, waiting for Congress people to be named during the hearing. But not one was announced. Reason, because of the midterms? That's a question mark. Your thoughts, Roy, best regards. Yeah, I do think that's the case. I mean, we know that there are sitting members of Congress that were involved with this. They gave tours. There was communications. They were probably part of planning sessions. You know, the thing about it is everybody kept saying, this is the last hearing. I still don't think that's the case. I think there will be more hearings. There's going to be at least one summation of all the hearings and a presentation at that point. But I think Merrick Garland and Congress, at least the select committee, are very conscious about people complaining that they're trying to affect the election. Because a lot of these people that will be called on the carpet are up for election, like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Jim Jordan, those kinds of folks. So if they do it now, 
they're going to be screaming about that, along with election fraud and all this other shit. So they're looking at discretion as the better part of valor. They're going to wait it out till after the midterms. But I think after the midterms, we're going to see a flurry of shit. I honestly do. I mean, that remains to be seen. I'm I'm no psychic here. I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen, but I, I can tell you what I think based on what I'm seeing. And, you know, the interesting thing is, I think the tell here is that not only did they not announce the names of the sitting members of Congress or Ginny, uh, Ginny Thomas either, they didn't even mention them, even though we know that they're involved, that they have some connections to all of this. The fact that they didn't mention them tells me they're saving it for another time. And after the midterms would make a lot of sense. All right, this next one comes from Jody. She says, hi, Mike, hope this email finds you well. So I have some thoughts and a whole lot of questions related to the J6 committee subpoena of IQ 45. That's a new one. I hadn't seen that. Why do you think the J6 committee voted to do so? If the GOP win in the midterms, we know they will stop the committee and the hearings in January when and if they take office. Plus, as we know, the orange anal bead (laughs) will delay appeal and do everything in his power to run out the clock. Look at Steve Bannon, the human genitals herpes. Jody, you were thinking about this one, weren't you? Although he was found guilty of contempt of Congress, who knows how long it will be before he's tossed in the slammer. Probably this month he's going to be sentenced. Do you think that anything will actually come of subpoenaing him? Plus, if he actually does sit down with the J6 committee, he he will say anything except for plead the fifth another 500 times. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad the J6 committee is issuing the subpoena. I'm just not sure how it will be effective unless the plan on using footage of him pleading the fifth on camera in the future hearings. Please share your thoughts on the subpoena issue. I appreciate all of your insight. Thank you for your daily podcast, even when you're tired or not feeling well. Cordially, Jody C. Well, thank you very much, Jody. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think the vote and the decision to subpoena Donald Trump was more theatrics. It was more symbolic. I mean, right up front, a lot of people are thinking, there's no way he's going to show up. And does it matter if he shows up? No, it doesn't matter if he shows up. The J6 committee isn't, uh, isn't the DOJ. The DOJ will likely subpoena Donald Trump, and he will have no choice. I don't care if he shows up to the J6 committee. What they did basically was trying to fuck with his head a little bit, kind of taunt him. If you think you're so smart, you think you're so tough, why don't you talk? Here's what I think is going to happen. He's coming out saying, why didn't they ask me earlier? I'd be happy to talk. I'd be happy to straighten these people out. And in his head, in his head, He thinks he can actually sit down because he's so brilliant and he's so articulate that he can talk himself out of this. But his lawyer's no different. So what what I think is going to happen here is he's going to say, sure, I'll do it, but he's going to try to negotiate. And he's going to make some demands that the J6 committee is just not interested in giving them. There's no reason. They don't have to give him any concessions. So then what Donald Trump will do through his lawyers say, well, I really wanted to testify, but those J6 committee people are trying to hide things. They don't want me to bring out the evidence. It's just a way to save face for Donald Trump, because when it comes down to it, all that matters to Donald Trump is how Donald Trump looks. But um, when I I saw that they were going to... um, subpoena him. I thought, good one. This is, like I say, a symbolic thing. It's theatrics. Uh, I don't expect him to testify, but he might. He might, because like I said, he thinks he's brilliant. He thinks he can take all these people to task. 
Now, his lawyers would normally shut that down because it's a stupid idea. It's not a good idea. However, he doesn't have much left of his lawyers. He's got one decent lawyers, and all the other ones were either on TV or insurance lawyers or whatever the fuck. So he may not have anybody with enough power to hold him back because he really believes he's a genius. So it's hard to say what's going to happen. Now, if he doesn't comply to the subpoena and they refer him to the DOJ for criminal contempt, do I think the DOJ will do anything with that? No, I don't. Why would they? They've got several other potential indictments. They don't want to muddy the waters with some low-level indictment. So as I say, don't don't take this whole thing to heart very much. It really doesn't mean anything. It's just kind of a taunt to Donald Trump. And, you know, if he's crazy enough to do it, what the hell? It'll be good TV. But if he doesn't show... Nobody's surprised. And it's really not going to change anything. It's not going to change the midterms. It's not going to change the indictments that will come from the DOJ and Georgia and New York and all that shit. It really has no bearing on anything. It was just the J6 committee sticking it to Donald Trump. All right. We have yet another email, and this one is coming from Joshua. He says, I watched your tick tick. Don't forget about this. The tick-tick was in response to the January 6th hearings today regarding complicity in law enforcement, specifically the FBI and the Secret Service. Your tick-tick was spot on and needs to be said loudly. We have a problem. I don't know if he means tick-tick or tick-tock, but whatever, that's what he wrote. I've been saying loudly that those complicit within law enforcement and the military need to be purged. I also think the purging should extend to the civil service and government positions. I think that if you're a member of a terrorist organization involved with a failed coup attempt on the U.S. government, you should be fired and barred from ever serving again. If you are involved in seditious behavior, you should not be qualified to serve on a law enforcement, military, or civil service jobs. After the election, I think Congress should propose a bill to make laws to not allow domestic traders to serve in our military, law enforcement, or government jobs. <clears throat> Any and all thoughts or opinions regarding the matter would be welcome. Thank you. Joshua. Now, what Joshua is talking about is a TikTok that I actually did. And this TikTok was, uh, you know, after the hearing, we heard a lot of things. It was premeditated. We heard Nancy Pelosi talking about punching Donald Trump out, and that would be fucking hilarious. Can you see Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump, the coward, going nose to nose? <laughs> and that if Nancy Pelosi gave him a right hook and dropped that pudgy fuck, that would be hilarious. You know, Nancy Pelosi's a little be old to be doing the job, but uh, she's still kicking some ass. You got to give her that. She's a lot tougher than Donald Trump. But my point of the TikTok was this. Among all the other things we have to worry about, there are some things to consider that aren't being talked about quite enough. Now, the FBI was asked why they weren't ready for the insurrection. Their answer was they didn't have intel. They didn't know it was going to happen. But through the hearings, we're finding out they did know. They did have an idea, but yet they still did nothing. So why is that? And we know for a fact that there is a faction of extremists in the FBI we know there is a faction of extremists in the Secret Service. There's a bunch of missing texts from January 5th and January 6th of 2021. Now, if anybody's going to lose text, it's not going to be the Secret Service or the FBI or any government agency. They're very careful about that, but somehow those texts were lost. We can only presume that there are some things that support Donald Trump and support the insurrection. So it's clear we have some tainted folks in the Secret Service. But it doesn't stop there. Of course, in the DOJ, we have Jeffrey Clark. He was an assistant 
attorney general or deputy attorney general, whatever the fuck he was. He was a low-level guy. But he was ready to help Donald Trump overthrow the government and undermine democracy and overturn the election. We know that some of the military and we know that some of the police departments stood strongly behind Donald Trump. Even in the insurrection, there's still some talk, and you don't hear him talk about it much, how there were some police officers that were kind of assisting the insurrectionists. Now, when you think about all this, it is very troubling because many of these people that might have been supporting Donald Trump in the insurrection are still in their jobs. Now, Jeffrey Clark is gone from the DOJ, but there are other people in the DOJ that may have supported Donald Trump in the insurrection. We know there are people in the Secret Service. This Tony Arnato guy that was in the Secret Service, then Donald Trump pulled him out, made him an assistant, but he was still working for the Secret Service. He was kind of a liaison with the Secret Service. If they lost all these texts, you know that there are some of these people in the Secret Service. you got the police, the military, and this is all very troubling. Because even though we've had a change of president, a change of the attorney general, many of these people are still in place and they shouldn't be there. If they were people who supported an insurrection, they should be gone. And I think they can be gone by any number of ways, the 14th Amendment for some of them. Uh, But clearly... They've broken the law. I believe any one of these people would have had to take a, taken an oath to uh, protect the Constitution, which they clearly didn't do on January 6th. So we got all this other shit going on, you know. The investigations, the top secret documents, the insurrection generally. Um, and nobody's really talking about that. And what's going to have to happen after the midterms, after we get through some of these uh, investigations, Merrick Garland and Joe Biden, is go- uh, they're going to have to step up and f- dig out who these people are and get them gone, get them the fuck out of there. As long as they're still in our government agencies, they are still a danger to our democracy. We can get Donald Trump, we can get Mark Meadows, we can get Michael Flynn, but if these worker bees in these departments are still there, it's like having a cancer in your body. If you don't get it out right away, it can grow. If somebody else comes along with a Donald Trump mindset, he's already got people in place to help him or her out in the next try. And the problem with the possibility of a next try is uh, there's a pretty good chance that whoever is the president or in a high position is going to be smarter than Donald Trump. I feel comfortable in saying that because virtually anybody is smarter than Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a dumb motherfucker. So, Joshua, you make a good point, and this is something we really have to look at. This country has many problems, and that's one problem that's not being looked at very closely as yet. This is something we have to push into the narrative so that the likes of Joe Biden, uh, Merrick Garland, and some of these other leaders, maybe people in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, force them to look into it, put it into the narrative, and make sure they're being watched to make sure that they do something with that. All right, next one. Last email. This comes from Gen X 1970 Lisa. That means, I'm assuming 1970 is when you were born. That makes you 10 years older than I am. I'm 62, so you must be 52. And she asks, what do you think is the main reason that Donald Trump tried so desperately to hold on to the presidency? Do you think he owed foreign countries money and favors? There has to be some base reasoning other than he's a narcissist for him to break so many laws in order to desperately try to keep his title of the president. Then when he is finally booted out, he steals documents that he can presumably utilize to pay back his debts to foreign countries. It just seems like there's a lot more beneath the surface. Love the show. Gen X, 1970, Lisa. 
Thank you, Lisa. And and you and you're right. There, there there's a probably a lot to it. Knowing what I know about people with this personality, the narcissist fact, the narcissistic fact has to come into play. It's not the most important one, but it's there. Narcissist cannot lose. They take it as a personal affront. They are embarrassed by it, and that is the absolute worst thing you can do to a narcissist, embarrass them. Let me tell you a story. I've told you before I have a father that uh, is narcissistic. I haven't seen him for many years, so I don't know what his current status is. But when I was a little kid, I mean a little kid, 60s, for Christmas one time we got one of those um, hockey games, you know, with the sliders on them. They had the rods, and you would go back and forth. And we loved those games. We loved them. I still can remember it. The two teams on this game were Montreal and Toronto. I always wanted Montreal because of Guy Lafleur. He was a hot hockey player back in the day. So my brother and I would play this game. I'd win sometimes. He'd win sometimes. But my father would always want to play. And initially, because we were seven, eight, nine years old, Uh, He would beat us every time. He would never let us win. He would kick our ass every time. Well, over the years, my brother and I got pretty good at this game, and my dad would play, and one or two times we'd beat him, and he would become furious. He would make excuses as to why we won, we cheated, or we got lucky, or whatever. Now, here's a guy that has two young kids, And he can't give his kids a win, even if they've earned it legitimately. (laughs) I tell you what, my grandson, when I see him on a regular basis, he always wants to play checkers. Now, checkers isn't a hard game. But through the time I play checkers with this kid, I have never won a game from this kid. Now, I could have beat him a number of times, but I have a firm belief that if you give a kid the experience of success, that's going to build on his confidence and he has more opportunity for success in the future. In fact, when we're playing this game, I'll set it up so he can do some fancy moves and he'll make a wrong move. And I'll look at him and I'll say, you sure you want to make that move? I messed up here. Don't you see it? And then he'll look at it, and he'll look at it again, and then a light bulb will go off. He'll make the move, and he thinks he's excited. He's excited about it because he's beaten me. Now, it doesn't bother me in the least that he beats me. I'm excited by the fact that this kid actually won, and he feels some pride in winning. And every time I see him, I'll say, hey, buddy, what do you want to do? And he says, let's play play uh, checkers. And I'll always say to him, oh, you want me to beat you again, huh? And he looks at me kind of weird. He goes, you've never won. I said, well, yeah, maybe not, but there's always next time. I'm going to get you one time, kid. <laughs> and he just kind of laughs and he says, you'll never beat me. And I like that. I like that he's confident. I like that he knows he can beat me. Because I got to tell you, when when you're a kid, there's a lot of things that cause you insecurity. You know, you got people picking on you. You're worried about all these things. There's nothing more valuable for a kid than to have confidence. I spent my whole life as a father trying to build my kid's confidence. You know, I've always told people, never go into anything assuming you're going to lose. A lot of people do that. They sell themselves short. And, you know, I used to do that at one time, and then I realized that doesn't work. It's it, it's kind of like setting your future in motion, that you're responsible for it. And when I thought I would lose or I was scared I was going to lose, I'd always lose. So I presumed if I thought I was going to win and I believed I was going to win and I was confident, maybe it would go the other way. Now, of course, I don't win every time, but I win more often than I lose. So it seems to make some sense. And I think as a parent or grandparent, our job is to get these kids ready for the world. 
I don't want them to go out there thinking they're going to lose. I want them believing they're going to win, and that confidence will change everything for them when they get into the real world. My dad didn't have that uh, idea, and I've gotten away from what we were talking about, but that's Donald Trump's mindset. He can't lose. That's the worst thing for him. Now, the other thing is you were talking about the prospect that uh, he may be owed money or some kind of influence, and that is probably true. Maybe, you know, let's be perfectly honest. He got a lot of money from uh, Deutsche Bank. But as I've told you before, Deutsche Bank has been called out a number of times for laundering money from Russia. So it makes some sense that maybe Russia fed a bunch of money to Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank gave Donald Trump's loans. There was the only bank that would give him loans. But even they would have to say, eh, he doesn't pay shit back. We shouldn't give him money. But if the Russians feed Deutsche Bank and say, you pay him with that, and then Deutsche Bank sends it to Donald Trump, it launders the money. Once it gets to Donald Trump, he does whatever the fuck he does with it. But it's going to be a quid pro quo. Russia doesn't do this unless they expect something in return. And that could be influence, that could be documents, that could be personal favors. I mean, we know Donald Trump sat down and spoke with Vladimir Putin a number of times in private. Nobody got to hear it question is, what happened there? So, yeah, I think that's part of it, too. But I think one of the biggest parts of it, uh, Lisa, is this. He sees being president as a safety net. He knows he's committed crimes. And we know that while he was a sitting president, he committed crimes, but he couldn't be touched because of some memo in the DOJ. They can't indict some president. Now, he knows a lot is coming down around him. He's going to announce sometime after the midterms just to appease the Republicans uh, to announce that he's going to run for president. In his mind, he thinks the moment he announces he's running for president, he's protected. And this is not true. And if he can get to 2024 over the next two years, he can delay everything. At least he thinks he can. For two years, he becomes president, and then he's home free. That's how he sees it. He's so delusional. He's so arrogant. He's so narcissistic. That's how he thinks he's going to game this situation. Now, we know he's trying to game the situation because he tries to game every situation. He's been trying to game the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit. He's been trying to avoid testifying. Well, that ran out of fucking time. Now he's going to have to testify next week. He tried to game the top secret documents thing, too. He got uh, a bought-and-paid-for judge, a special master. It was appealed to the 11th Circuit, where two of the judges were Trump appointees. He thought he could game this situation, and they would delay it for him. He's trying to run out the clock. He's trying to run it to 2024 so he can become president, and then he can whitewash it. Well, he's not going to be the candidate in 2024, and even if he was, he wouldn't win. But in his mind... He thinks he can. Now, see, this guy has exactly what I was trying to instill in my kids and my grandkids, confidence. But you have to be realistic, too. There will be times in your life that you're wrong and you will fail, and you have to recognize that and adjust for it. Donald Trump doesn't have that in his mind. It doesn't exist. He thinks there's no way he can be wrong. There's no way he can be loose. It just can't happen. So, Lisa, he's trying to game the system. He's, he, he's, he's desperate for protection, and he sees being a sitting president of the United States will afford him protection. And I'll be honest with you, the way things are right now, what we saw in the four years he was in office, he's right about that. He's absolutely right about that. But the unfortunate situation, he's not going to be able to delay these things two years in hopes that he's going to become president. Now we have the situation with um, uh, the documents. 
He appealed it to the Supreme Court. They said, fuck yourself. Now he's run out of ways to delay that. E. Jean Carroll, he can't delay that anymore. The J6 committee, they're going to get a lot of people throwing Donald Trump under the bus. He won't be able to delay that either. So I've always said we just need one indictment, and there are potentially four or five indictments ready to fall on Donald Trump at some point after the midterms. He still believes he has a way out, but he does not. But that's all he's got. He's in desperation mode. He's only hoping against hope that he can get this done. And that's understandable because he's got no other way out. He's got to hope for a miracle, and that miracle is not going to happen. So there's a lot to this, like you said, Lisa, what he's thinking and his mindset in terms of, uh, in terms of taking these documents. He's also looking at leverage. The last thing I will say about this, and we know this based on what he said, he went to the National Archives and he says, look, I have some top secret documents and I'll trade them. You give me some of the documents that show the Democrats uh, spied on me in 2016, and I'll give you your top secret documents. Little does he know that may work in business. That's not going to work in government because these documents that he has were stolen from the U.S. government. As big as Donald Trump thinks he is, he can't fight the U.S. government. They are going to fucking bury him. But that says a lot. That attempt was was uh, risky. That attempt was fairly blatant. And it tells us exactly what he's doing with these documents. He sees it as leverage. I mean, I guarantee you what he's going to do um, as he gets indicted, he's going to say, if you take me to court, I'm going to expose all the documents I still have. And that's why I've said before, probably the best way to handle the situation with Donald Trump is to get an FBI crew at Bedminster, an FBI crew at the Trump Tower, and an FBI crew at Mar-a-Lago, and do a legitimate raid simultaneously when they arrest Donald Trump and indict Donald Trump. Do it all at once so he doesn't have a chance to move stuff around or have any notice at all. And hopefully that's what they will do when it comes down to it. Because there's some fear that if he does still have the documents, there is more damage he could do uh, as retribution for the indictment or as a way to try to get out of the indictment. But here's the important thing to understand. Donald Trump's been out of office for like 20 months. Um He had these documents for four years while he's in office. Anything you might be afraid that he might do if you indict him, he's probably already done. So I don't know what you're going to try to protect yourself from because I think he's already done the worst. I think the DOJ knows exactly what he did and exactly what he has. But we're not going to hear that for a while until things come out with an indictment. When the trial starts, then we'll start hearing about all the bad shit. And I'll guarantee you, you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse when we hear all of that information that comes out then. So, Lisa, hopefully that's an answer for you. And um, hopefully that makes sense. We will take a quick break and we will be right back. Well, we had the Battle of the Titans, if you will, last night. And it's reminiscent of the uh, debate we had between Ron Johnson and Mandela Barnes, uh, two people running for the U.S. Senate in Wisconsin. That was a shit show. Ron Johnson literally got laughed at by the crowd when he was talking about how he was investigating the FBI and the FBI is working against him. People literally laughed at him. Now, that was a funny show. That was an embarrassing show for Ron Johnson. But it ain't nothing compared to the Battle of the Titans we had last night. It was Raphael Warnock, who is the incumbent senator from Georgia, in a debate with Herschel Walker, the Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate. Now, Herschel Walker is as dumb as you can fucking possibly be. I don't even think he's mentally all there. I mean, I say that Donald Trump is dumb. 
<laughs> he ain't nearly as dumb as Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker makes misstatements and lies every day. And in this particular debate from last night, um, <laughs> Herschel got laughed at again, much like Ron Johnson the previous night in that debate. <clears throat> Now, Warnock said something to him that kind of started this uh, laughing jag that the audience had. <laughs> Raphael Warnock said, one thing I've not done is I've never pretended to be a police officer and I've never threatened a shootout with the police. Now, remember, Herschel Walker has said that he was with the FBI, he was with the Sheriff's Department, and he was so crazed one night with a gun, he was about prepared to have a shootout with the police. That's the Republican candidate. Boy, he's solid, isn't he? Now, Warnock said that referring to how the former football star once talked about a police shootout, according to a 21-year-old police report. Walker then... <laughs> now, we've already identified the fact that he's never worked for the police department or the FBI. They've all been asked and said, we have no record of him ever working with us. But he still insists that he did, in spite of the fact the people he's alleged to have worked for say, yeah, nah, that didn't happen. So while this is going on, after what Raphael Warnock says, Walker then pulls out what appeared to be a fake police badge and held it up on stage, drawing a scolding from one of the moderators. <laughs> the moderator said, you're very well aware of the rules, aren't you? The moderator said. You see, he wasn't supposed to, neither one of them were supposed to have any props with him in this debate. It was just them talking. But apparently, uh, Herschel Walker was prepared for Raphael Warnock to suggest that he wasn't really a police officer, that he lied about it. Herschel Walker, the GOP nominee of the U.S. Senate seat in Georgia, was reprimanded by a moderator for flashing a prop police badge in his debate Friday against Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. During a response to a question about crime, Warnock criticized Walker for falsely claiming in the past that he had once worked for law enforcement. We all heard that, and we all know it's a lie and a joke. In a 2019 speech, Walker claimed he had once worked in law enforcement. He said, I spent time at Quantico at the FBI training schools. Y'all didn't know I was an agent, did you? <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell you all that. Y'all don't care about that. Yeah, I've been in law enforcement, Walker said at the time. Now, there, as I said, there is no record of Walker ever having worked in law enforcement on any level. He, was, he has touted the fact that he received an honorary deputy sheriff card reportedly given to him by the Cobb County Sheriff's Office in Georgia. Now, that's conceivable that he got an honorary card, but that doesn't mean he's worked in law enforcement. Walker's campaign has been marred by a string of scandals, of course, surrounding his personal conduct. He's a nut-fucking-case, including the recent allegations that he paid for the abortion of a former girlfriend in 2009, despite his staunch anti-abortion views. Walker has denied the reports and accused the woman of lying. His conservative son, meanwhile, has turned on him and called him a liar. What we later found out that not only had he told this woman to get an abortion, and she did, that was crazy enough. And then we find out that this same woman actually has a living son fathered by Herschel Walker. So he exists. And apparently Herschel tried to convince her to have an abortion with the second pregnancy as well. First, he said he didn't know the woman. Well, that's kind of weird because he's paying child support to her son with him. Of course, he knows of the child, and of course, he knows of the woman. But in spite of all this, if you watch bits and pieces of this debate, he still denies that he encouraged her to have an abortion, and he paid for the abortion. 
In spite of the fact there's nothing but evidence about it, there's receipts all over the place, this woman is credible, but even still, on this stage, he denied the fact that he did that. The race is one of the key battles in the upcoming election that could determine the control of the Senate. Warnock, a pastor who won his seat in 2021 runoff, is seeking his first full term in office. Warnock won the runoff, but he only was going to he only was to serve out the remaining 2 years in the term. Um John Ossoff, who also won a Senate seat at the same time Warnock won, will serve six years. So I don't think he, when is he up again? I think he won it in 2020. So he'd be up in uh, 2026. So uh, Ossoff's going to be there for a while, but Warnock's up now. And he's got to go up against Herschel Walker, which should be a fucking no-brainer. I mean, people of Georgia, when they hear this guy talk, see the things he's done, uh, who would vote for this motherfucker? Now, public polling has shown Warnock with a small but consistent lead over Walker. If either candidate doesn't receive more than 50 percent of the vote in November, there will be a runoff. And that's what happened uh, with Warnock when he ran. So it's one of those states you got to win at least 50% to be declared the winner. If you don't, then there is a runoff. So we'll see what happens there. Honestly, I believe the polls don't really tell us everything we should know because I think there's going to be an unprecedented amount of people that are coming out to vote, far more than you'd expect to see in a midterm election, just by virtue of people's fear that if the Republicans get into control, that could be the end of our democracy. People were afraid in 2020. That's why Joe Biden got 81 million votes. And I think they're going to be similarly scared in this particular election, the midterms in early November. So the polls can say one thing, but I think the turnout will be the ultimate decider on who wins these elections. And a big turnout is obviously going to um, benefit the Democrats. All right. Let's talk about this cone head, Roger Stone. Have you ever seen a picture of him? Turned to the side. He's got a weird shaped head. It might explain why this fucker's crazy. So longtime political dirty trickster and fervent Donald Trump ally Roger Stone was recorded cursing at Trump and referring to Ivanka Trump with an expletive after he failed to obtain a preemptive White House pardon for his activities on January 6th last year. See, he knew this was going to cause him some shit, so he wanted a second pardon. He got a pardon for the three-year jail term he was going to spend. He got out of it. And then just for good housekeeping, he wanted Donald Trump to give him another pardon should something like what's going on show up. And Donald Trump didn't do it. (laughs) Donald Trump didn't do it. And Mr. Stone was pissed off. Christopher Goldbrinson um, is a Danish uh, filmmaker, and he had a documentary, and we saw some of the footage in the hearing the other day. Stone can be seen on a cell phone in this video, ranting about what he imagines saying to the outgoing president for refusing to grant him a second pardon. He starts out with, fuck you. (laughs) Stone also bashes Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, in the footage, saying he has an IQ of 170. Aside from Donald Trump, Stone also held Jared Kushner responsible as being the guy who was the point man on the pardon. (laughs) Stone said, Kushner's coming to Miami, Stone says on the phone in the video. We will eject him from Miami very quickly. He'll be leaving very quickly, very quickly. He has 100 security guards. I will have 5,000 security guards. You want to fight? Let's fight. Fuck you. Fuck you and your abortionist bitch daughter. Yeah, um, Roger's a little hot because he didn't get that second pardon. And now what he wanted that second pardon 
or is what's happening now. <laughs> Roger Stone won't get a pardon again. That motherfucker's going to jail. Stone made the call in a car in Fort Lauderdale the day of Joe Biden's inauguration last year when Trump no longer had the power to pardon anyone. It is unclear who he is talking to in the footage, but it's going to come out in the documentary and it's not going to play well for Roger Stone. The video clip is from Gulbranson's document documentary, A Storm Foretold, about the events leading up to last year's Capitol riot. The House January 6th panel investigating the attack on the Capitol, of course, subpoenaed the footage. According to the filmmaker, he told the Daily Beast that there was no doubt that Stone was referring to Ivanka Trump as an abortionist bitch (laughs) in the tape. The former first daughter was a strange target for Stone since she staunchly declared herself in a 2020 interview pro-life and unapologetically so. Is he suggesting that at some point in her past, Ivanka had an abortion? (laughs) Wouldn't all be surprised. Now, Stone, who opposes abortion, claims to respect life, even though in other footage he advocates killing people over the results of the 2020 election. He wants to save the children, but he'll kill fucking Democrats. He even said, fuck the voting. Let's get right to the violence. Now, this was well in advance of the January 6th insurrection, which leads us to believe, among other things that we've heard, that this was all premeditated. This was all planned ahead of time. Stone says in a video clip the filmmaker released last month, shoot to kill. CNN Tifa, shoot to kill. Fuck them. Done with this bullshit. Yeah, he's a tough guy. Wait till he's headed for jail. We'll see how tough he is then. The filmmaker told the Washington Post that spending nearly three years with Stone and his cronies convinced him and his crew that the 2020 presidential election and January 6th insurrection marked the beginning of an anti-democratic movement in the United States. Yeah, you think? Gal Branson said Stone erupted when he learned he wouldn't be getting a January 6th-related pardon from Trump. He had been holding out for a pardon till the very last minute. He had written up a memo earlier on after the January 6th insurrection with a plan about encouraging Trump to pardon the lawmakers who had voted against certifying. And Roger Stone and some of his clients, the filmmaker added, Stone wasn't facing any charges for January 6th when he was ranting on the phone, and Trump had already granted him a previous pardon. Now, in 2019, Stone was convicted of seven felonies, including obstruction of justice and witness tampering during the investigation into the Kremlin interference in the 2016 presidential election. He was sentenced to 40 months in prison. Stone indicated he expected a payback pardon in that case because he kept his mouth shut about damaging information concerning Trump. The then-president publicly praised Stone for not flipping and commuted his sentence. He didn't really pardon him. He commuted his sentence. He's still a convicted felon, but he let him out of jail. Uh, This was before it even began in the summer of 2020. Trump then pardoned Stone shortly before leaving the White House. Stone is currently being investigated uh, for activities linked to the insurrection. We know that to be true. The night before Trump supporters stormed the Capitol, he urged the crowd to fight, warning that they were in a battle between the godly and the godless and the good and the evil. That's what they always say, isn't it? He had previously urged Trump to call out the military and seize power if Trump lost the 2020 election. Stone could not be reached for comments. Oh, big surprise. He has claimed that earlier documentary video clips of him trash-talking Trump were deep fakes. (laughs) Like I've said before, they were doctored. Well, I think you can prove pretty easily that they were not faked or that they were doctored. I mean, what's he suggesting? Is he suggesting they got some other guy, put his face on it, and made him say whatever... um, Roger Stone was alleged to have said. 
That's absolutely ridiculous. This guy is flailing. He is in some deep shit. But here's something to think about with Roger Stone. He doesn't have a lot of integrity, as we know. And clearly he was mad at Donald Trump. Now, with regards to this insurrection, he is probably going to get go to jail. He's certainly going to be indicted. And there's no way he's going to get pardoned. So what will Roger Stone do then? He's not a young man. He's in his 70s. He gets a 10-year sentence, and he's pretty much in there for life. So what I suspect will happen is that if he gets indicted, he's going to be flip-flopping all over the place and burying Donald Trump. He's pissed that he didn't get that second pardon, and he will do anything to save his life. If Donald Trump is a narcissist, um, Roger Stone is an ultra-narcissist. He is somebody who is a criminal. Any way you look at him, this guy is corrupt and a criminal. And if anybody's going to flip on Donald Trump, if it means saving his skin, it's going to be Roger Stone. Now, the Department of Justice apparently has some additional evidence against Donald Trump that is not publicly revealed according to a new filing. On Friday, the DOJ officially appealed Trump-appointed Judge Aileen Cannon's controversial appointment of Special Master Raymond Deary to oversee the documents the FBI seized from Mar-a-Lago. The document was filed with 11th Circuit Appeals in Atlanta. Now, in the 53-page brief before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit in Atlanta, the Justice Department broadly challenged the legal legitimacy of the orders last month by Judge Aileen Cannon who blocked the investigators from using the materials and appointed an independent arbiter to sift through them for any that are potentially privileged or Mr. Trump's personal property. Now, the New York Times reported that Justice Department already succeeded in persuading a panel of the Atlanta-based court to exempt about 100 documents marked classified from Judge Cannon's move, a decision the Supreme Court declined to overturn. You see, Donald Trump thought he'd get it to the Supreme Court, and the three people he appointed would do him a solid and allow him to delay it even further. They basically said, fuck yourself. This is a weak appeal. We're not even going to listen to it. Now, in a footnote on a page six of the appeal, DOJ explained it has additional evidence that Trump had classified documents at his Florida resort. Here and before the district court, the government has referred to evidence developed in its investigation to inform the courts of the relevant facts, the DOJ wrote. Where possible, the government refers to portions of the affidavit accompanying its search warrant application that have been unsealed or to other information in the public record. Of necessity, however, the government cannot publicly disclose all the sources of its evidence, particularly while the investigation remains ongoing. Now, the Department of Justice on Friday argued that an appeals court should overturn the ruling appointing a special master to review more than 10,000 documents seized by the FBI during an August search of former President Trump's home. So what's happening here is, you know, they took it to court Um, They got a special master from Judge Aileen Cannon. Donald Trump blew his wad and took it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, yeah, there's nothing fucking here. So now the DOJ is appealing the whole concept of having a special master to go through all the documents, let alone the hundred they wanted to protect. So now that's going to the 11th Circuit, who has been pretty favorable to the DOJ. And what they want from that is to have the 11th Circuit say, yeah, let's get rid of the special master and let's just let the DOJ do what they fucking do. In a filing before the 11th Circuit, the Department of Justice picked apart the lower court's ruling in favor of Trump, as well as the former president's argument that he should be afforded a third party to review the evidence collected at Mar-a-Lago. 
What this also did, it was a punch in the gut to Judge Aileen Cannon. When it went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, yeah, there's nothing here, we don't even want to hear it, that didn't make Judge Aileen Cannon look very good. And ultimately, ultimately it may do some damage to her current position. I don't know if she can be kicked out, impeached, or whatever. But she's not in good shape right now. Her standing is not good as a judge, a district court judge at this point. Somebody asked me, what's that noise when you get the clunking on the thing? Well, I've got the glass of water here, you know, and I've got a uh, coaster because my wife insists on coasters. Probably a good idea anyway. But the glass sweats, it gets wet on the bottom, it sticks to the coaster, I pick it up, the coaster drops. I could edit that out, but Jesus Christ, we're casual here, aren't we? Aren't we all amongst friends here? Now, the next story, in a twist of fate, bound to infuriate Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and we like that, The migrants he had flown to Martha's Vineyard. Now, this is a good one. This is hilarious. The migrants he had flown to Martha's Vineyard are now on track for a special visa that will allow them to stay in the U.S. permanently. He's worried about all these people coming in. He thought he'd be a hot shot, put on a little song and dance, a dog and pony show, and ship these folks up to Obama's house. That's what he was doing. Well, he broke a law. And uh, that breaking of that law works in favor of those migrants. Forty-nine people were lured on to, into a boarding flights from Texas to Massachusetts Uh, the vacation island of Martha's Vineyard last month in a Republican political stunt devised by DeSantis. He's a fucking genius. Now, Bexar County, Texas Sheriff Javier Salazar announced Thursday that he has filed federal paperwork to have the migrants certified as victims or witnesses of a crime. The Texas Tribune reported that. Now, that qualifies them to obtain a special U visa that allows them to stay in the country and often leads to a covenant, coveted permanent resident green card. Salazar has already launched a criminal investigation into the operation and said giving the migrants a new visa status will ensure the migrants' availability as witnesses during the investigation and any subsequent trial. Now, based on the claims of the migrants being transported from Bexar County under false pretenses, we are investigating this case as possible unlawful restraint, Salazar told Boston Public Radio. Now, the migrants said they were lured into boarding charter flights from Texas to Martha's Vineyard by a woman since identified as an Army veteran who reported, her name was Perla, who reportedly promised them jobs, housing, and education if they went to Massachusetts. Now, attorneys are already working with a number of the victims. We are grateful for Sheriff Salazar's recognition of the gravity of these events. These certifications are an acknowledgement of the wrongdoings to our client and a crucial step in helping them to chart their path forward. So, Ron wants him out of here, but he thought he'd rub it in the face of Democrats. And guess what? Just like Donald Trump, he fucked up because those migrants are going to be able to stay. Now, Carol Rose, executive director of the ACLU of Massachusetts, said in a statement, the organization is currently representing nine of the immigrants. Immigrants are human beings, not political props. She added, DeSantis' office has yet to comment on the development. The governor is already the target of lawsuits. The Treasury Department Inspector General's office is looking into whether DeSantis improperly used money linked to COVID-19 aid to fund the flights from Texas to Massachusetts, uh, Martha's Vineyard. So, (laughs) Ronnie's got some big problems. He thought he'd be a hot shot. He thought he would be the guy that uh, finally 
owned the libtars. But instead, he fucked up. He broke some laws. He might be subject to some lawsuits or maybe some even some criminal activity. And if that weren't bad enough, the immigrants that he committed this crime against will be able to get a special visa that will allow them to stay here as long as they need to ultimately get a green card. Now, I know Ron DeSantis doesn't like having these brown people come into the country, but these people were put out, a crime was committed, but I got to think they're feeling pretty lucky right now because they're not going to have to go through the regular process. They have been um, treated badly and criminally by Ron DeSantis. He'll have to address the criminal issues and the lawsuits. But in the end, the people that uh, were the victims are going to come out of this better than they ever could have possibly imagined. They're actually, in spite of the fact it was such a horrific thing and it's such a egregious thing, in the end, they're coming out better. Now, the last thing I want to talk about um, is America's badass. Yeah, I'm talking about House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She said on the day of the attack on the U.S. Capitol that she hoped then-President Donald Trump would come to the complex so she could punch him out. Think of that optic. 80-year-old Nancy Pelosi standing in front of uh, a Big Mac eating Donald Trump, the orange fucking pig, and having Nancy Pelosi take a shot at him. Now, if I was taking odds on that fight, I'm with Nancy Pelosi all the way. Donald Trump was little more than a, uh, a coward. Nancy would pop that dipshit, and he would go ass over tea kettle, and he would roll around like one of those weebles back in the 70s. He'd kind of come up, he'd go down, he'd just bounce around. Now, Pelosi's daughter's documentary filmmaker, Alexandra Pelosi, captured the moment and many others on January 6th in footage shot for HBO and first obtained by CNN. It aired a few hours after the House Select Committee investigating the attack played other clips from the footage during its ninth hearing Thursday. Tell him if he comes up here, we're going to the White House, the speaker jokes, reacting to the Trump speech at the White House ellipse. Another clip shows Pelosi speaking to her staff as a crowd began to amass at the Capitol. In it, Pelosi's chief of staff, Terry McCullough, informs the speaker that the Secret Service had dissuaded Trump from coming to the Capitol to join his supporters. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here, McCullough says. So at the moment, he's not coming, but that could change. Pelosi says, I hope he comes. I want to punch him out. This is my moment. I've been waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I want to punch him out. I'm going to jail, and I'm going to be happy about it. Nancy's kind of a badass, don't you think? The video aired by CNN showed other clips similar to those played during the hearing featuring Pelosi and other congressional leaders as they scrambled to get help as the Capitol was under siege. I mean, this whole thing was a very scary time for those people that were in the Capitol. I remember sitting watching this attack on the Capitol, and I was enthralled with it. I was saying, I'm seeing history here. I can't believe that this is even happening in this country. I remember my wife being very uncomfortable about it. She didn't want to watch it, but then she did want to watch it, and she was angry that it was happening. And we all should have been angry. I mean, this country has a long history of rule of law. On that day, rule of law didn't matter. Democracy didn't matter. Our government didn't matter. It was all at risk because of one man. And that's the one thing that um, the J6 committee did in their last hearing. They pointed out that everything happened that day. All roads led to Donald Trump. I think that's what they intended to do. And they proved that to be the fact. It was all premeditated. 
They were making contingency plans should they lose. This all happened before the election. Uh, Roger Stone, Donald Trump, they all said this stuff. If we lose, we're just going to say we won and cause chaos and confusion and uh, try to do whatever they can to undermine democracy and overturn the election. And they sure gave it a hell of a try. I've said this before, and I'll say it one more time. You had the president that was complicit in this. You had people in the DOJ that was complicit in this. You had Jenny Thomas, who was complicit, who's married to a Supreme Court justice. You had all these tens of thousands of people that came in to try to overrun the Capitol. You had all three branches involved in this attempt of a coup. You had tens of thousands of people trying to charge the Capitol. But guess what? They still fucking failed. They failed miserably. That's how incompetent these fucks are. These people are not only criminals, they're not only corrupt, but they're stupid as fuck. And thank God for that, because if we had one smart person in this whole process, we might be living in a different country today as we speak. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.